Hi, I'm Melissa Doyle and welcome to Speaking of Change, the podcast where we shine a spotlight on ways we can advance Australia's progress towards gender equality and unleash the power of young women in Australia and across the globe. Joining me for our first episode is Dr Kate Hadwin, Principal of Pimble Ladies College in Sydney, to talk about the theme of International Women's Day 2022, Breaking the Bias, and what that means to our next generation of women. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us so we can all be a part of the change conversation. I thought I might start then with International Women's Day and given the whole concept of this is speaking of change, why do we need to do it? Why do you think we need to have these conversations? Mm. I feel our girls are incredible and they have, they're surrounded, I'm surrounded by amazing young women and the talent that I see in them and the ability that I see shining through them and I feel we need to amplify that. So how do we make sure that they know and they feel courageous moving forward in their life and they understand that they've got everything that they need to move forward confidently? And so how do we amplify their voice, I guess, is is my drive for this. And there are some certain, you know, certain things that we understand that are not great still. And so how do we give our girls everything that they need to step confidently in their life to overcome whatever it is that that they might be faced with. So for me, it's about amplifying the voice of our girls. Who else, though, do we want to have listened to this conversation? I look at it that I've got I've got an 18-year-old daughter who just finished last year and a son about to turn 21, and my daughter knows that she'll have opportunities and she'll change the world and she's strong and feisty. And I look at the people around her and I look at organisations and I look at her brother and I look at the men in her world and I think they're the ones I want to have listened to these conversations. You know, our girls know that they can do whatever they want now. Mm. Who else do we need to convince that things have to change? It's such a community endeavour, isn't it? You know, the bias does exist in every level of community, be it at school or be it earlier than school when children are born all the way through. And even when we think about pocket money, for example, still the most recent study Mm. is about boys receiving more pocket money than girls. And still the most recent study is that boys have a far better understanding of careers that their parents have than girls do. So simple things that we absolutely can do in our homes every day to try and change that. But it's, every, it's a community conversation. It's a, it's a big, broad conversation. And uh, one of the things that I noticed last year when the consent issue became a really live issue was that my peers in boys' schools were talking about it being really uncomfortable to lead a boys' school. And so um, how do we bring everybody along in the conversation without making people feel like they're to blame or it's their fault for the situation that society finds itself in. So uh, whilst we do need to have conversations with boys, young boys, middle-aged men, older men, um, the conversation needs to happen with with everybody, not not just with boys or with girls. It has been an extraordinary couple of years, hasn't it, as far as seeing young women in particular, and we, we name a couple being, you know, Chanel Contis and we've got Grace Tame, we've got Brittany Higgins, these young women who have taken a platform and a profile and just shouted it from the rooftops and had and, and forced conversations about subjects that probably people haven't been comfortable talking about openly. Have you seen young women, I guess, 
harnessing their power in a way they may not have previously. Oh, hooray. Hooray for these incredible, courageous women who are stepping forward and creating a movement. And for me, that what it is, that's what it is. It's a movement. So we started off with social media and my, you know, when I began my career, I worked in social media doing large studies on its impact on girls and women, in particular when I was working in research. And what I see now is that there was a lot of negativity around social media and I see now the how we can use that to amplify. And so, you know, when I think about the work that Chanel did and so on, that became such a live topic because they could lean into the ability of amplifying their voice through social media. And I was thinking about the words that Brittany Higgins was saying in her parliamentary address and, and uh, just thinking about her saying she's really worried that this might become a blip that it might just become social noise that happened one year and then we get back to everything as it was. And I think she's right. I think she's right. I, I feel that uh, our girls want to do things differently and are stepping forward in different ways. But unless they're enabled by the adults around them, both men and women, uh, that it may it does run the risk of becoming a blip and, and not such a you know, not such, a, I guess, a point of education and a turning point in our in our history. So what do we do as the adults around them? Mm. What do you think we can do to support them, to ensure they feel strong enough to speak up on issues that have to be spoken about? Listen, I think that's, it mm. sounds so simple, doesn't it? And it sounds um, almost condescending to say we need to listen. Well, of course we're listening. But what does that mean? It means that when they challenge us to not be confronted by that, as the adults in the room or the people who hold the power in the room to listen and understand that actually they have the the only they're the only ones who have the knowledge as to how they can solve this challenge they they're the ones who are living it at that stage we might have lived it a while ago now for me anyway <laughs> but uh, they're living it now and the world looks different now and so for them coming up with the solutions and the ways to think that through is really critically important and certainly when Chanel uh, spoke out about her problems and her challenges and when we've had girls come together to talk through the challenges that they're facing, the ways that they're thinking through how they'd like to be educated, how they'd like to be informed, how they'd like to graduate from school and be considered by their male peers, how they would like to be protected by both boys and girls when they go out to gatherings is really important. So I think it's the young people in the room that need to be the major part of the solution. And if we can if we can listen to them and if we can take on board their advice and not think that we have the answers, but actually they have the answers, we'll be in a much better place moving forward. And the decisions that we make will have far greater impact on their life. Even in a workplace environment, I often think I, I you know, came from quite a male-dominated industry and there's a lot of young women who would not put up with what we might have put up with 20 or 30 years ago. And I, I look at my role now as a senior woman of, of hearing what they're saying and I am, and although I probably didn't speak out in the way they are now, I can stand next to them. I can make sure they know that they're not on their own on top of that mountain now as they, you know, shake the tree, that they've got all of us around them. Do you think that's a really something that we as an older women can do for younger women is to know that let them know that they're not on their own? Absolutely. I mean, strong female role models and mentors. And that whole thing is it's hard to be it if you can't see it. And so it, it is about how do we get, how do we amplify again those women around our girls so that they can see that and they can be supported by that. But I think back to, it's funny, isn't it, the questions that you get asked. I mean, when I was first 
uh, applying for a principalship well before this one a while ago uh, I was told that if I didn't get married then I wouldn't get the job <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> So uh, that was really interesting. I mean, what was your answer? <laughs> a bit gobsmacked, I have to say. But um, in a way, I thought, well, at least you're telling me as it is. Of course, I remember just feeling shocked. And how does that have any impact whatsoever? What male yeah. in my world of work would ever be asked yeah. that or instructed? Certainly not instructed in that way. Uh, so. You know, I look around and I see uh, these amazing, strong women and, and, yes, they do need to have role models, but they also need to be able to stand up for themselves and to be able to, as you say, push back effectively. Mm. And I guess I see in schools we have a really big part to play in that, in in encouraging them in uh, when they do stand up for themselves to rather than take the traditional type of view where we would kind of say, well, you know, goodness me, you're stepping out of line or that's not not something that we'd want you to say, to actually say, hmm, it's, it's interesting. I like that you uh, are aggressive and upset about that. And let me tell you a little bit about how to be effective when you want to make change or or how to, rather than to get everybody to sign a massive petition and think that that's going to engender change, how do you actually have the conversation to try and change somebody's thinking about who you are or how you show up? And I, and I feel like that's where we can really lean in to help our girls and women to show up in a way where they'll be respected and heard and their their voices will be valued. Some of the things they're doing, can you share with us? Because I think when you look at something that big, the concept of change is just a little overwhelming occasionally and you think, how? where do we begin? What do we do? But as we know in any situation, you know, break it down into bite-sized increments and suddenly it's manageable. What are some of the things that you're seeing young women doing? I guess if I pick that up from the consent perspective and talk about consent education and I uh, feel that there's all this debate out there about girls' schools, boys' schools, co-ed, the whole thing, uh, from my perspective, you can have a really incredibly sexist environment, whether it's co-ed or single sex. That's not the, the, the actual structure is not the thing. It's how, it's how that school evolved, what are its values, how are you teaching young people, regardless of whether you've got girls or boys only or girls and boys. And so um, when I think about some of the things that our girls are doing, it's actually working with the boys to come up with the curriculum, to design the curriculum, to sit down with them and work out, well, what is it that we need to do for girls and boys in year five and how can they learn from each other? And, and surely it has to be the most important thing has to be, how do I respect you as a person? What do you bring to the room? What do I bring to the room, regardless of gender? Mm. And so I, I see the girls really leaning into that you know, and they, they don't want boys to be vilified. They want the boys to understand their perspective and to see them for who they are and the value that they bring to that space. And so um, I see in, in that context the girls really leaning into that work and I see the boys really leaning into that work too, which is really heartening for me. That is so good because it's going to take a generational change, isn't it? And I think exactly as you said, you want that to happen no matter what age you are. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're in grade five or if you've been in the workforce for 25 years. I think we want to be respected for what we bring. We're still seeing inequality in the workplace. We still have a, a gender pay gap of something like 14%. We still have a lot of industries where it's greater. Why do you think it's still not happening in so many areas? The gender pay gap, just it's my it's my pet project. It drives me drives me spare. I really get upset about it because the biggest differential if we think about the pipeline and and you know more girls 
graduate from university. So we've got, you know, a higher quality of education from our girls. We have more girls stepping into formal workplaces. And yet at that very first promotion that they put their hand up, far fewer women are getting into that first point of promotion. That's the biggest differential when we look at climbing the corporate ladder is at the bottom rung. And so what that does, of course, is just massively diminish the pool. You know, if you're taking out the biggest percentage at the bottom rung, of course you've got less women in the pool to to climb up the ladder. And I, I just don't get it. You know, I, I think about girls and women and they're, they're so able, they're not at the stage of their career where they have babies. So it's not childcare, it's not those types of things. Uh, so trying to understand what is it in that space that's meaning that they're not being selected for those promotions. And I loved listening to Theresa May, who uh, I was listening to her being interviewed last week. And she was saying, when we think about selection criteria, we tend to be drawn to people who can speak confidently or present themselves in a certain way. And she was saying the way that they thought about reframing those interviews was to think about what's the quality that you're after in that person? Is it that you want somebody who can listen deeply for that role? So how do you deselect those other qualities and how do you amplify this? And so I, I guess I'd like to think that, you know, the way that we think through systems and structures makes a difference and that we can start to think about not necessarily putting in place quotas and those types of things, but thinking about deeply about how we do go about selecting. And, and I feel like hopefully that might make a difference for girls and women in that first point of promotion. Yeah, or maybe it's a generalisation, but I think of a, a young man as he's got the confidence to stick up his hand and, and why do we then exclude a group of people because they don't, they're not brave enough to put up their hand for a promotion. So um, I know that Kate Jenkins, our sex discrimination commissioner, says that she encourages male bosses in particular, don't wait for women to put up their hand or apply for the promotion. If you think they can do it, go tap them on the shoulder mm. and, and tell them to apply. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's a, I don't know, a confidence thing or mm. why, yeah, we lose this big gap. We do. And interestingly, I think there's some simple solutions that we can work towards if people are courageous enough to do them in organisations. And certainly one of the things we've done, we've implemented uh, last year, which has made an incredible difference and been really fascinating for me is that we've changed our procurement policy. So when we buy in, you know, when we, when we partner with organisations, they have to have female representation on their executive team, on their senior executive team. It's been really deeply interesting for me when we've looked at, you know, which architectural company we go with or which catering company we go with or, you know, whatever it is across whatever domain to say, show us where your senior executive female representation sits. And we've had to deselect a number of organisations. And I've loved the fact they've come back to us 12 months later and said to us, we're just letting you know, we now have this woman (laughs) in this role. Like, I love that. You know, and we can all do that. That's something we can all do. And it's a quiet way of saying, hang on a minute, hang on. That's not okay. That's not okay. You know, why as a as a girls' school would we partner with you when you don't have a single person in your senior exec team that's a female? It makes no sense. It sounds such a simple initiative when you explain it that way, but so powerful. Congratulations. Making a huge difference, I'm sure. I'd love to think that, you know, they're, they're the types of things that at a higher level from a government structural type of perspective that um, I think provides organisations with flexibility because it's, you know, we, we're, we're looking at those board roles, but how do we trickle that down? 
So what's the representation look like at that first point of promotion? Because we're not measuring that necessarily and reporting publicly on that necessarily. I mean, we do collect that data, but the data tends to come up in the media about who's the CEO, you know, who's the chair of the board, that type of thing. If we shifted the lens a little and when, you know, what does it look like at your at your funnel, the beginning of your funnel, then, you know, perhaps there might be a little bit more pressure on, mm, hang on a minute, <laughs> that, that's, that doesn't look good. That's not right. Other issues that often come up um, that can hinder women in the workplace are things like childcare, for example. We've seen a focus during the pandemic of a lot of people working from home and particularly a lot of, I guess, executive men. Do you think anything good might have come from the last two years that we've all had to slightly rejig our working arrangements? It'd be lovely to think so, but I guess when we look at the real data around the impact of the pandemic, of course, we know that women have been far more impacted than men in so, so many ways, in in so many negative ways. And so I feel like for girls and women on the whole, there's been a, a negative, you know, sort of, I guess, a step a step back from, you know, what we've managed to achieve. So I feel I feel really sad about that. And I, I you know, have seen, I guess, the effects of that play out. And so, you know, it makes me worry about that. I would love to think it was a reset. How great would that be? Uh, it's different in different organisations. For our organisation in education, it's we, we don't have the ability to offer the flexibility that other organisations do. So we're a little bit out of that. But for me, that the childcare is is most importantly about who will love my children. That's what it's about. You can get childcare, you you can buy in or, or, you know, send your children and sometimes it might be that you earn, you know, you earn, you don't earn enough to afford childcare, that it's not worth your while to go to work and that's an issue in itself how we fund that as a company, as a country. But most importantly, it's for, for us as women, we just want to know somebody will love our children and, and it's high quality childcare. How do we get high quality childcare so that you can go to work and not feel that guilt? And it's just, it's a very real thing. And as much as we can labour on about, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about going to work. And we know that as women, if we go to work, the, the research clearly says our daughters, our children are much more likely to lean into their careers if we role model that. I don't know about you. I still felt guilty, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just wanted to know my children were loved and well cared for. And that, that for me is if we can overcome that hurdle, uh, we'll, we'll just be so much better set up. And I get frustrated that we don't look at the bigger picture because if you break it down that a woman who who finds that financially it's not viable to put her children into childcare, so she steps out of the workforce, that means she loses superannuation. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 10, 12 years and the kids are older and whatever age it might be that she returns to work, then come retirement age, you know, I think it is that women retire with something like, you know, half of what a man mm. will retire with. And then you've got this huge big issue for women. I don't, I still get really annoyed that we don't look at the big long-term picture. We're so focused on those unconscious biases of a woman has to be in the home looking after the children and it's just detrimental for everybody. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could have in organisations, you know, one of those simple fixes around when people do take maternity leave, how do you keep them connected in one day a week? And I remember a, a great 
uh, person leading a large organisation when I was living in Perth who used to have regular check-ins with the women who were on maternity leave to keep them queued into the organisation and constantly be saying, would you like to come back for half a day? Do you think you might come back for a day? To just try and, and encourage that continual relationship with the workplace so that you haven't got those big gaps and it makes it really hard then to get back in or get back in at a different level. And I, I just, I'm really still surprised about... Um, people who come to me in the workplace and say, oh, I'm I'm going to have a baby, so I've, decide, I've decided to step down from that role because I'm worried about not being able to live up to the expectations when I come back. And I, I feel really sad about that. I, I, you know what, constantly challenging that still and saying, why? You know, <laughs> what, what makes you feel like you need to step down from your role because you're having a baby? So I, I think there's a lot of work to do, but as organisations, if we can encourage people just to, to keep their toe in the water at the very minimum, then, you know, it's one step leads to a giant leap. Any parents who are listening to this, and I'd probably say in particular dads, what would you like to say to them in order to empower their daughters? Mm, spend time with your girls. Get to know your girls. Um, spend time understanding what they're doing online spend time listening to their stories and their dreams, take them to your workplace, spend time talking to them about the finances of the house, listen to them, value their opinion. The best thing we can do for girls is develop healthy relationships with the men around them, particularly their fathers and their uncles and their brothers, and uh, to, to understand that they're valued as a person and that they're worthy of, um, of being heard. And what about young men? What do we say to young men today? Oh, lots of interesting things. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I do worry, are we focusing so much on empowering girls? And I, I don't know, I never want boys to feel that, that maybe this is not their moment to step up. They've got a role to play. It was interesting. When I read the Sheryl Sandberg book, and I'm a huge fan of hers and I think she's an amazing woman, I finished that book and I felt, wow, is it all about us having to change? Is that we're responsible for leaning in? Is it that's the message here, that there's something that we've, we're doing wrong or we need to do differently? I felt really confronted by that. I, You know, as much as I like her, I kind of feel like for our men, it's about respect and about understand the value of the other in the room. So understand who you are and what you bring to the room and stop for a moment and understand what the other person brings to the room. And so uh, the perspective that girls and women bring uh, is, is just enlightening. And so giving them an opportunity to be quiet and listen and, and spend time understanding the value of the other. Oh, my gosh, yes. I completely agree with you that so much of that messaging is is women have to do something different. Mm. And, okay, maybe we do, but we can't force change just on our own. No, yeah. absolutely not. And let's take first point of promotion. What is it you want women to do differently? Do you want them to show up differently in interviews? Do you want them to be more aggressive when they're applying for jobs? Are they all things that you necessarily want or are they... Are there systemic things that need to be changed before we get to the what women should be doing differently? I, I think there's a lot of systemic work before we contemplate that. Do you think we judge men and women differently in the workplace, particularly around the word ambition? Oh, absolutely. I feel like uh, if you're, and look, many, many ways we judge, right? Many, many ways. And it's one of my pet peeves, I guess. I talk particularly about for women, uh, whether you are working, aren't working, have a, have babies, don't have babies, breastfeed, don't breastfeed. You know, honestly, the yeah. list just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Uh, and so 
I think for us to consider women, let it, letting women be who they want to be and, and, you know, I turn up in heels every day, I feel really good like that. I don't feel like I'm dressing because somebody else wants me to look like that. I feel like that's actually what gives me strength and, and I feel great about doing that. And uh, once somebody who works closely with me turns up in joggers and pants every day and that suits her perfectly and she's amazing like that and she shouldn't be judged and that's how she feels comfortable. So I I don't know, I've, I kind of feel like we should be allowed to love pink, turn up in heels, still have a brain, not be judged for that. Uh, and, I mean, if we flip it the other way, I guess I think I'm really grateful that when I was a teenager I had makeup. Like, thank goodness for that, you know, when I didn't have great skin or whatever. I think boys don't have that chance, <laughs> you know, to actually to turn up in different, I guess, um, personas of themselves and try that out. So in some way, I guess we're, you know, we're fortunate as well. But yeah, it's no reflection on your brain or your ability no. to work, how you're dressed. And, you know, I love fashion magazines and I'm just as happy to flick through Vogue as I am to flick through the Fin Review. Why do you? Why do we have to have one without the other? Yeah, that's what we choose. Absolutely, yeah. I'm with you. I love fashion. And okay, I lied about the Fin Review bit, but that's okay. Oh, I'm just, you yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a point of conversation too. I mean, for me, you know, I wear weird shoes because it's a the girls want to talk to me about yeah. that, and so it just creates a connection. And it, you know, how do we relate to one another, and how do we connect with one another? So it's, you know, it's not always about the fashion, right? Sometimes it's about something entirely different than what you're actually wearing. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey, for want of another word, and and getting to where you are? Did you have any particular challenges? Did you have any great cheerleaders? Did you have who was standing in your corner telling you that you could have it all, do it all, be it all? I am so blessed to have the upbringing that I've had and, and I guess I have an obligation to do something with that and how can I help people in my lifetime? So I think I've been really blessed to have an opportunity to work in all domains of education in the private sector, in resilience building organisations and programs and then in universities and uh, to work in research. Probably the work in research was most instructive in my life and I met the most incredible woman who I think was probably just somebody who really lifted me up and I, you know, would go to bed every night thinking I just want to be like her. (laughs) And I still do. Can you tell me who she was? Oh, absolutely. Professor Donna Cross. And she's just she's just actually retired this year. And I feel like, no, it's this loss to the world of this incredible woman who, for me, was about understanding, always believing that, you know, you can do these amazing things. And what a gift that would be if we all had really inspiring people around us who picked us up when we fell over, who held us to account you know, we want to be held to account, but um, she's just an, an incredible woman. How fantastic to have that figure, and especially if it's not a family member or not somebody who you know is cheering you on because they have to. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, look, my my career was probably marred with lots of challenge as well. You know, I feel like I had a really great professional, you know, life going on and a nightmare of a personal life going on and trying to manage all of that. Um, You know, my husband and I share five children and for quite some time I was a single mum with three kids doing a PH job, holding down a big a big job. And I just, I remember listening to Fiona Stanley, who's who's an amazing woman, right, has 
six children. And I remember her talking about how, you know, she outsourced everything else. And and this quote, this phrase that actually another great lady um, said, if you want to be the best, you need to outsource the rest. And I just remember sitting there thinking, that's all very well, but you need to have money to do that. And, you know, not everybody has the means through which, in fact, many people don't have the means through which to outsource all of the rest. And so for me, there was, you know, really, if I'm honest about it, it's just damn hard work, a lot of struggle, a lot of sacrifice and an enormous amount of guilt as a Mm -hmm. mum about, you know, I think about my youngest child. I think I picked him up from high school once. That's it in my career, you know, in my my life, because I just couldn't. I was I was at work. I didn't have the ability to do that. I think it was it, whilst yes, there were lots of opportunity, and I lent into those opportunities for sure. Uh, you, you know, it was just frankly hard work. And I think I'm with you on the guilt thing about outsourcing. I used to think if I got someone else to do it, it meant I wasn't a good enough mother, and I wasn't able to manage it all. And so we work ourselves into the ground. We mm-hmm. sacrifice our own sleep and all of those other factors in order to be. I don't know who we think we should be and do it how we should be doing it, which is crazy. Now I now I look back on it, I think it's crazy, but at the time I couldn't see any other way. Mm. Your son that you picked up once from high school in the afternoon, but what did he gain from having the mum that he does? I feel like all the kids are really proud of who I am as a person, you know, and they. it's been lovely for me. Uh, with all of their partners, I have great relationships with their partners. They're all in their in their twenties now, and uh, you know they they come to me and and talk about their challenges and things. And and when we were over the holiday period, his partner who came on holidays with us was saying, "I just really feel like I can just talk to you about my problems." And I thought, you know, the the kids really, frankly, they're not scarred from the fact that I couldn't turn up to all of their nighttime performances or. You know, that that I didn't, they always knew they were loved. When I needed to be there, I was always there for them. But, oh, you know, I gave myself such a hard time along the way about who I should be and, and who I wasn't um, for them and the people around, around me. So Oh, we're crazy. Mm. And I think you've got children that have grown up seeing this, that, you know, they, you for them are the professor that you looked at as somebody who was doing things and making a change and, and, and being effective. And, you know, I think I hope we can just, we've raised strong, ambitious kids who can do anything because they've seen us do it. I mean, they get to see the mess though too. I don't know what your house is like, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, so. <laughs> they get, they get to know that they get to see me emotionally fall apart. Yeah. You know, they get to see me at home when it's not, da-da. But that's important, don't you think, to be honest Absolutely. about that part as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they all know that, you know, there's been nights I've come home and just sat and cried yeah. all night long <laughs> about yeah. life's a disaster and I'm, I can't do this and, you know, I'm never going to be able to achieve that. And, um, I think they've they've kind of you know carried me through that a bit, and and it's been it's probably been helpful them, for them to understand, you know, life's not always easy. There's there's struggles along the way, and I would love to think that for even some of the girls who kind of come in and out of perhaps our orbit, even that they can just for a moment have an opportunity to see somebody who they can relate to, not not look up to, but relate to. That I hope that you know they can see that. Um, you know, perhaps there's something in me that's like that's like you, and and we're in this together. 
because I think I think we are in this together. And it's real and we have good days and we have bad days and some days I jump out of bed and I feel like Wonder Woman and I can take on the world and other days I just don't even want to walk out the front door and I just want to wallow and it's that's real life. Let's not pretend that it's perfect and smooth sailing every day. And also let's not pretend that having children and holding down a job and everything else that you want to do is easy mm. or that there's any easy way out. Even if you do pay for childcare or, you you know, you have the means to buy in whatever it is that you want, that there's still going to be things that you need to sacrifice and that's that's life. That's the way it's going to be. But it's not a reason not to step forward. And last night I was having dinner with some friends and, and one of the friends who's CEO of a large company and was talking about one of the younger ladies who's pregnant and about to have a baby and she's so able and he can see that she's, you know, she is the next CEO of this company and she can't see it in herself. And she's, you know, she's grappling with this whole thing of how do I manage my career and a big job or career trajectory? And I'd love to see more conversations with our women about, yeah, yep, it's going to be hard. You know, e- even if we do have childcare at work and all of those things, it's going to be hard. That's not a reason to say no, because the reward is enormous. You know, the opportunity that you have to influence other people and to change the course of their life and to change this whole thing about breaking the bias starts with one. It's the power of one. Uh, so, you know, we were just talking about how we get our women to, you know, understand it's tough, but still be in the game. You are nurturing this incredible generation of young Australian women coming through. How do you see times changing for them? How will their future be different? And as part of that, how would you like their future to be different? Well, I'd love for a start for us not to have this conversation, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, that breaking mm-hmm. the bias is no longer needed. That's not a conversation that we need to have. You know, what's really interesting for me is that I have children in their mid-20s. They've all finished their degrees. They all have partners. They've got degrees, they've got big careers, their partners all have degrees and they have big careers. And I see this absolute precipice in society where something is going to change because the women all want a career, the men want a career, and something something is going to have to change. I'm actually excited about the confrontation that I see in that space. And so I feel like we're heading towards, we're bowling down a different pathway. I kind of feel like for for my generation that it's still very much the woman's just doing more. You know, we're going to work and we're still doing this and we're still doing that and we know that that's what the research says. I see it differently for our young people and I, and I see those relationships playing out and there's challenging that. But how great is that? How great that the girls are, are saying, hang on a minute, I have just as much of a right to my career as you do. And what I'm seeing actually is, you know, some of the boys travelling around the country following their girls to their careers (laughs) and sometimes the other way around. Um, So I have an enormous amount of hope and I feel like, you know, our job is to continue to support to support both the men and the women because what I see is that, yes, men are making these courageous decisions that they're they're going to sacrifice their career for a period of time for the girls to have theirs. So we need to support the boys as well and to help them understand it's okay to take paternity leave, it's it's okay to actually do the things for your family. So I, I see really exciting times ahead 
And um, I, I think as the now leaders of organisations, our job is to support that. Why do you think it's important that we have this conversation? As a school, Pimble Ladies College, biggest girls' school in the Southern Hemisphere, I think we have a responsibility. I think we absolutely have a responsibility to stand up and have our voice, our collective voice heard. We have 30,000 alumni in our network alone. And when we started this idea about we really want to lean into focusing on girls and women and we came up with the slogan, Watch Us Change the World, and we had these, we chose to have these really powerful images of our girls that um, weren't wearing uniform but, you know, were wearing the college colours, doing amazing things, and we had them planted all over our buses and, you know, advertised everywhere. And we got some feedback and I just remember taking a call from somebody saying, you know, the girls in those photos, like they look really aggressive. And I said to the person who called, how would you like me to portray them? There was this silent moment of, hmm, (laughs) okay, what are the social expectations about how we should be showing up as a girls' school? We are unapologetic. We are absolutely behind our girls. And you know what? If we have to stand in the marketplace and cheer from the top of the mountain or, you know, in the marketplace with placards and say, our girls belong and they have a place, then surely we should be doing that. I'm I'm really proud uh, to lead this incredible organisation and I'm really proud of how we're showing up to support our girls. And I love that the girls are behind it. So I was with the bus campaign and so on, some of the girls who were in that campaign were saying that all their friends and peers were taking photos of wherever they showed up, if (laughs) it was in Chatswater or whatever, and sending that through in social media. And it's engaging for the girls and they feel like they belong to something bigger than them because it's the strength that comes from the collective voice. And I love that question back on them of how do you want... It's exactly what we've seen just recently with Grace Tame. Yes. And, the, and you know, the meeting with the Prime Minister and... Yes. She didn't look how so many aspects of the media expected her to look, which was what, standing there sweetly and smiling. And why do people still think that's how we need to be? Hey, if you had been groomed and raped, are you going to be happy about that? You know, you're being put in front of people to talk about that experience day in and day out. Why on earth is there an expectation that you're going to show up in a way that represents joy and merriment? I mean, that actually would be absurd. And insincere. Absolutely. So what do we we want? Why do people, why is it that with women, I guess, forcing other people to listen to us that that becomes intimidating. Oh, and, you know, people would say to me, well, you know, wouldn't it be better if you had a group of girls together? (laughs) Okay, tell me more a little bit about that. Help me understand where that comes from. You know, I'm, I'm trying to understand why having a strong female woman standing up on her own is somehow conflicting with how you think women should be presented. It's just was a really, the whole thing was really interesting. And, you know, the noise around it died down a little bit. But every single Pimble girl knows about what has changed the world and every single Pimble girl can see themselves in that statement, how they are going to change their world and therefore their world. And, and I think to have something courageous and aspirational uh, is important and, and that's why we're having this conversation, right, because we are breaking the bias by every student every day and the things that they will go on to do in their world. 
some of the things that you're working on right now that are that are leading you, I guess, down the next path? Can you share those with us? Oh, look, it, it sounds crazy, um, but I'm back at uni. I feel like I, I can't ever leave uni. <laughs> it's kind of part of who I am. And I'm doing something called a Master of Narrative Therapy, which my family are terrified about. <laughs> <laughs> like they think I'm going to come home and and um, try and better understand them, which is terrifying. But uh, I am really lucky that this year I'm going on enrichment leave, which is fantastic. And I wanted to do something transformational rather than transactional. And I guess it's all to do with my bigger picture goal of helping change systems and structures around that first point of promotion and how I can how I can lean in and try and change that. Because I think if we change that, we make an enormous difference in the world. Can you tell me though what narrative therapy is? So. <laughs> How narrative therapy fits in is I'm I'm doing a course through Oxford University around women in war and peace. So it's better understanding the stories of women through war and peace. And I, and I feel like that'll be really transformational to hear their stories. And narrative therapy is about helping you understand that you are the one that has the solution to your problem. So the problem is the problem. It sits outside of you and sometimes it, it overwhelms you. So the problem might be that I feel anxious And there's a whole series of circumstances that sit around that that make one day, like when I came in this morning, feel that it was inside of me because it was overwhelming. And that was because I was really rushed this morning. I had no time. I've been in back-to-back meetings and and here I am, so I've got no headspace. And narrative therapy is about understanding that you you are the only person who has a solution to your problems. And so how do I use that to try and help our girls understand that whatever challenge they come and share with me, I can help them know through much more effective questioning than I was using before. You know what? You you can come and ask me about this, but you are the one who has the solution to that, not me. And so, you know, how can I help you understand that? And once you get that for your life, you can use that for all of your life. And so I guess I see it as a way of you know, bringing all of that together. And longer term, I'm, I'm, my next thing is to do a study at the end of this year, looking at that first point of promotion, going in and interviewing women in the workplace at, around that 25 to 30 age. And I'll use narrative therapy as the questioning technique. So I'm learning about it so that I can do this piece of research and try and come up with structural changes to implement through organisations so that I can try and shift that you get to sleep at night? <laughs> you have a lot going on. <laughs> I'm really driven. Like I'm insanely, yeah. insanely driven. I, I always have to have the next big thing on my mind. Otherwise, I'm, I feel like I'm wasting. I, have, I, I don't know about you. I have this ridiculous pressure about every day is a day lost. I'm exactly the same. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, I didn't make the most of it. I know. Yeah. I feel like I've been given this incredible platform and Every day, if I'm if I'm not working towards what my you know how can I how can I change the world regarding breaking the bias? What can I do? Uh, and so, yeah, I feel really driven to use every day in a meaningful way. Well, then I'm hoping that everyone listening to this has, has that same feeling. If we all think, what can I do today to make a difference? Mm. And I think about one of the things that one of our girls did last week or a couple of weeks ago was come to us and say, I'm really worried about the girls and women in Afghanistan and their lack of education and how can we support them? And all of a sudden in a couple of weeks' time we have this whole big gala day, we're raising an enormous amount of money, we have the Afghan national football team or some representatives who've only just arrived in Australia 
who haven't been able to access education, uh, coming to Pimble and working with our girls. And, and there's so much from her one idea, wow. her one idea. And it's just how do we support the ideas that the girls have and how do we also encourage them to think in that way that it's not just about how can they give a hand to one person, but how can they change a structure so that they can make real change happen. And it'll be great to hear how the girls, I'm sure they all have different views and different things they take from it that they can do to change the world. Mm. How many ideas come from that? Absolutely. I mean, we have another group called the Asian Allies and they want to embed curriculum around diversity in the school. So we're now working with them so that they can co-design curriculum for us so that we can understand what were their experiences and what do they think we could do differently as a school and what does everybody need to know about that agenda. So, you know, it's exciting to be working in an area where you can see the girls are now really stepping forward around, okay, what, who am I? What's important to me? And how can I influence others and, and change the world? So before we let our listeners go and head off to what they're doing, a final thought for them, something that they, no matter how, whether it's young girls listening, whether it's their parents, whether it's company bosses, that... What can we all do as individuals to ensure change? Listen to the girls. (laughs) Listen to the girls and the women. Teach the girls and the women. Help them understand themselves so that they can step forward knowing that they've got unique gifts and talents to share with the world. I think most importantly, amplify their voice. Hear what they've got to say and find a way that you can help support them to use that in a meaningful way to change their world. I wonder it's called speaking of change. It's going to happen. Thank you, Dr Kate Hadwin. It's been so nice to chat to you. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat with you too. Thank you. Thanks for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Change. Remember to subscribe, rate and review us. And we look forward to speaking again soon.